Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to 26. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Hi everyone, welcome to our online service. It's great to have you uh, join in today. Uh, well, I'm back for uh, the next four weeks taking the service. And so that means we're starting a new series today. And we're going to look at the Psalms uh, for the next four weeks. So the Psalms are uh, one of the best places we can go to to learn uh, how to relate to God. Because uh, the Psalms, they teach us how to pray. Uh, they teach us how to worship. They teach us how to uh, process our struggles um, as we relate to God. And they teach us how to trust um, God's promises. And that's what we're actually going to look at specifically. Uh, I've called this series Praying God's Promises um, with the Psalms. And so we're going to look at four Psalms that convey to us uh, God's promises. And we're going to let those promises shape the way we relate to God and also how we um, pray to Him. Uh, now, prayer ha actually has become more popular since this um, coronavirus pandemic um, started. That's actually based on data from Google. Uh, apparently, Google searches for prayer have been the highest they've ever been recorded uh, on Google. Now, I don't know who is searching um, Google for prayer or why people are turning to Google, but one thing I do know, and that is we need to turn to God's Word. We need to let God's Word shape our prayers. You know, we need to search the Scriptures, not search Google. And so uh, we're going to look at the Psalms. Uh, they're definitely the best place uh, to learn how to pray. So that's our series. And today we're going to look at Psalm 91. So if you've got a Bible, open it up. You'll find Psalm 91 uh, roughly in the middle of the Bible. Um, but before I read it, I'll pray. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, let's hear from God's Word, uh, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrows that fly by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. 
They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of God. While we're doing a series on praying God's promises with the Psalms, and one promise that we certainly feel we need is God's promise of safety and protection. You know, we live in an unsafe and a very uncertain world, and certainly this pandemic has really heightened our sense that we are very vulnerable uh, in this world. Uh, all of us, to some degree, probably feel a little bit more vulnerable than, than we're used to feeling uh, this time. And so, where do you get a sense of peace and security? In a time of great uncertainty, where do, you, where do you look to for ultimate protection when we're so vulnerable? Uh, Psalm 91 tells us. Psalm 91. Actually, Psalm 91 has become very popular since this pandemic began uh, because it promises God's protection. And so it speaks very powerfully in, into a time of uncertainty like we're in at the moment. Uh, but we're actually going to have to do a little bit of work in this psalm because uh, it's actually not as straightforward as it might first seem. Uh, so we're going to look at three things to understand uh, the promise in this psalm. First of all, we're going to look at what the promise actually is. Then we'll look at the principle, that is, how do you understand the promise? And then thirdly, we'll look at the, the practice, so how you live it out. So the promise, the principle and the practice. So let's go. Uh, first of all, the promise. The promise of this psalm is of true safety and security in God. And you can see that very clearly in the first two lines of this psalm. Uh, have a look at verses 1 and 2. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So that gets across the idea that true safety is found in God alone uh, because there's no one greater. He alone is all powerful. He is the sovereign God. He is all wise and he is in charge. And therefore, if you're in him, you are safe. I mean, we often look to other things uh, for that sense of, of peace and, and security. You know, we look to, you know, we might look at our, our bank balance and the height of the bank balance is really the level of how safe we feel, or we might look to uh, our friends or family, you know, for a support network. Uh, we might even look to the government, especially at this time. Uh, you know, what are they going to do to keep us safe? Uh, but do you see, all of those things are actually vulnerable. None of those things provide ultimate protection. That is found in God alone, as this psalm is saying. Now, this idea of God's protection, it's presented so beautifully in the main part of this psalm, uh, in verses 3 to 13. So if you have a look at that, 
Uh, in verse 3, we'll just work through it quickly. It says uh, that he'll save you from the fowler's snare. Now, the fowler's snare, uh, that's a trap for birds. It's, it's a way of catching them unexpectedly. And so in the psalm, the fowler's snare stands for those unexpected difficulties that come into our lives. I mean, that, that's actually what is so scary about life, that suddenly some horrible thing could just spring into your life without any warning. You know, I often think of people who are caught in uh, serious accidents and you think about them, you know, when they woke up that day, they, they weren't to know that the events of that day would, will change their lives forever. And so that's what's so scary, unexpected difficulties. But verse 3 is saying you'll be protected from that. Uh, verse 3 also talks about um, being saved from the deadly pestilence, which is very uh, relevant in this time. Uh, verse 5 talks about um, the night. Uh, it talks about arrows that fly by day, and that could be uh, literal physical arrows that hurt, uh, or it could be um, verbal arrows, you know, at work, someone's saying something against you. Uh, verse 6, we have more res- uh, reference to pestilence, uh, the plague. Uh, verse 7 to 8, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. And then verse 9, verse 9 actually repeats the opening theme, but then adds the promise in verse 10. So look at verse 10. Uh, Sorry, yeah, verse 10, no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. And then we have the reason in verse 11 to 13, because he's going to command his angels concerning you to guard you in all their ways, uh, in all your ways. And then the psalm ends with a speech from God. And the speech from God is reaffirming his promise of protection. And it's the promise of protection to who? The one who loves him and acknowledges his name. Uh, So here we have a psalm celebrating God's protection of his faithful ones from all the things that we so deeply fear in life. Uh, You know, there there are so many dangers that strike unseen, unexpected. Um, You know, so many things where even the strong are as helpless as the weak. Uh, So think about it. You might have all these safety nets in your life. You might have a big fence around your property. You might have a guard dog. Uh, good locks on your door, security cameras. Uh, you might have uh, investments stored away, insurance in place. Uh, you might have a supportive family, all of these safety networks. But even when you have all of those things, are you truly safe? Well, in one sense, not really. Something terrible could happen at any time. You know, just one example, I remember when a friend uh, who was very healthy and fit got cancer, he said to me, cancer does not discriminate. You know, this COVID um, pandemic has brought the most powerful nations to their knees. And so there's so much in life that is so scary. We are so vulnerable. And yet verses 9 and 10 of this psalm say, if you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you no disaster will come near your tent. Now, what do we make of this promise? Uh, On the surface, it certainly sounds like God is saying that he's going to protect us from all trouble. Uh, 
And because of that, it actually leaves us feeling a little bit confused. Because if you're like me, uh, you know many faithful believers who were not protected from trouble. I mean, we know faithful believers who have been killed by diseases. Uh, We know uh, faithful Christians who have been killed even literally by arrows. I mean, one thinks of uh, Jim Elliott, you know, that missionary who, you know, he was a faithful Christian. He put, put his refuge in God. And yet in 1956, he was killed by the very tribe that he was trying to reach with the gospel. And so we ask in a situation like that, where was God's promise of protection? Uh, for many believers today, you know, some unexpected difficulty comes along and it leaves them asking, what happened to God? What happened to his promise? So how are we supposed to understand the promise of this psalm? And that actually brings us to the principle. There's a principle that we need to understand before the promise of God's protection actually makes sense. And uh, we're going to look at the principle now. What we need to see, we need to see this promise in the psalm against the background of God's covenant with his people. That's the principle we need to understand. We need to understand that the way God relates to his people is in the terms of a covenant. And you can see that clearly in Psalm 91 uh, because it shares a lot of the themes and ideas as the Song of Moses in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32. So the Song of Moses, we don't have time to read it now. You can perhaps read it later in the afternoon. But in Deuteronomy 32, the Song of Moses, what it is, it's a song about God's protection, uh, the protection that God will provide in response to covenant keeping, but it also has a warning about God removing his protection for covenant breaking. And so we need to see that this psalm against that background, that was the context that the original readers would have had in their minds when they, when they read about God's protection. Uh, it's the one, uh, that's actually why there is such an emphasis in this psalm on faithfulness, you know, trusting in God, uh, walking in his ways. It's the one who trusts, who is kept safe. But that's not all. There's another context in which we need to understand And that is, uh, notice all the use of the personal pronouns in this psalm. You know, all the I's and the the me's. Uh, It gets across the idea that a particular individual is in mind as this psalm is spoken. Namely, the king of Israel. You see, once a king was installed in the nation of Israel, uh, the terms of the covenant rested primarily on the king's shoulders. Uh, The king was to trust in God. He was to be unwavering in his obedience to God. And as he led the nation in that way, then the whole nation would experience the blessing of God's protection. Uh, So you need to understand it came through the king's faithfulness. That's how the blessing of God's protection uh, came about. Uh, His faithfulness to the covenant. And so you can see that when you understand this psalm against that covenant background, then the promise of God's protection begins to make a lot more sense. However, we also know, you know, if we keep reading the Old Testament, we know that both kings and people often failed miserably in their covenant uh, commitment. 
you know, the Old Testament is in so many ways a story of the people's failure, uh, a failure to do what Psalm 91 is actually saying. Because often the kings and the people, when they felt vulnerable, where did they turn for help? They turned to the gods of the other nations. They, they turned away from the Lord. They turned to the gods of other nations to try to, to get them to protect them from all the things that they feared. And so, so much of the latter part of the Old Testament is the prophets helping the people to come to terms with why God's protection was removed and why they ended up in exile. And the reason that they keep telling them, it's not because God failed. It's not because God was unfaithful. It was because the people were unfaithful. They turned away from God. And so in light of that, throughout the prophets, and even in the Psalms for that matter, a new hope came into sharp focus. It was the hope of a true king, a faithful king who would keep the terms of the covenant, the one who would fulfill God's commands and therefore bring the blessing uh, to the people. And that king, of course, we know is Jesus. Jesus is the true and faithful king. And so it's in Jesus that Psalm 91 finally comes to fulfillment. And so this psalm is pointing us to Jesus. It's actually about his faithfulness and it's about his obedience. Uh, it's about his protection from God. And so we actually need to read, um, for example, verse 2, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We're to read that as coming from the lips of Jesus himself. And therefore, if we look down at the end, verses 14 to 16 are actually the words of God the Father speaking to his son, promising to be with him and to protect him and deliver him and honour him. And so that makes the life of Jesus the key to understanding the promise of of God's protection that's in Psalm 91. Because on the one hand, we can see, uh, we see in Jesus the only faithful one, the only one who truly rested in his father's refuge. Uh, and so just to think about that, just some examples, uh, you know, think about the time when Jesus was out on that boat and he was with his disciples. A massive storm came and, and the waves were crashing over the boat the disciples were absolutely petrified, even though some of them were professional fishermen, and yet they were scared witless. But what was Jesus doing the whole time that storm was going on? He was asleep. And when they finally woke him, what did Jesus say to them? Where is your faith? Or another time, uh, he was out in the desert for 40 days with no food. And after those 40 days, he was hungry. Satan came along to tempt him to try to take matters into his own hands. But Jesus didn't give in to that temptation. Instead, he trusted in his father's provision. See, in Jesus, we see what it actually looks like to trust in the Lord. You know, Jesus didn't experience all the, the anxiety and the constant worrying that we so often experience because he trusted in his father's provision. And so in Jesus, we see what it looks like to fulfill Psalm 91, to put your trust in the Lord. But on the other hand, we also see in Jesus what God's promise of protection actually meant. Because clearly Jesus wasn't protected from all trouble in his life. Uh, and that's most clearly seen at the cross. 
Um, because on the cross, even though, even though verse 15 says, uh, He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver and honor him. Even though it says that, what happened on the cross? Jesus did call out, but it looked like he was abandoned. On the cross, it looked like God's protection of Jesus was removed. And yet what happened three days later? God kept his promise. God did deliver him from death. And he honoured him to the highest honour ever. And the resurrection certainly gives verse 16 uh, new meaning. Uh, In fact, God's protection of his son meant that the worst thing that happened to Jesus turned out to be the best thing because through his death and resurrection, not only did he receive the highest honour, but he also achieved the world's salvation. And so in Jesus, we actually can see clearly what the protection of Psalm 91 is all about. It's not protection from immediate harm, but it's protection from ultimate harm. Or to put it another way, God doesn't promise protection from trouble in this life, but rather he promises protection through trouble or in trouble, as verse 15 says, so that the worst thing that can happen turns out to be the best thing. That's what we see in Jesus. Uh, So ultimately, Jesus was kept safe. Uh, The worst thing that happened to him turned out to be the best thing. And seeing this, this psalm fulfilled in Jesus in this way, that actually shows us how we can share in God's promise today. Now, I said earlier that the king's faithfulness to the covenant is what brought the blessing to the nation. Well, in Jesus, we have the true king who through his faithfulness has secured the blessing for his people. And so it's through faith in him that we are united to him and the blessing of God's protection then becomes ours. So that means that if you are in Christ, then God the Father is just as committed to protecting you as he is his own son. And that means that God will bring you safely through all trouble into his eternal dwelling, which is uh, the satisfaction, long life and uh, salvation of uh, verse 16. He'll bring you safely even through death itself into his eternal dwelling. And so can you see that this is actually a lot better than, than what Psalm 91 is usually thought to be about. See, often people think that Psalm 91 is just, you know, God's going to keep me safe from having a bad day. And he's going to stop me from getting a sickness. But this Psalm is saying something way better than that. This is saying that God is committed to protecting you for all of eternity, keeping you safe forever. This is the ultimate protection. This is saying that the worst things that you face in life will actually turn out to be the best things because God is protecting you through trouble. He's going to turn all your trouble into good. And that's why the best commentary on Psalm 91, Okay, if you want to get a commentary on Psalm 91, do you know the best one to get? The second half of Romans 8. Because Romans 8 describes God's protection just beautifully. It really sums up what this psalm is saying. Because in Romans 8... You've got that great verse, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so that's telling us that God's protection of you 
ensures that ultimately everything is for your good. Uh, Romans 8 ends by saying that in Christ we are invincible. Or, or it actually says we are more than conquerors. It's the same thing. It says we're more than conquerors because nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, uh, you know, Charles Spurgeon wrote a, he actually wrote a commentary on uh, Psalm 91, not as good as Romans 8, but still a very good one. But Spurgeon has this great statement uh, to explain this promise. He says uh, that it is impossible that any ill should happen to the man who is beloved of the Lord. Ill to him is no ill, but only good in mysterious form. Losses enrich him, sickness is his medicine, reproach is his honour, death is his gain. He goes on to say, no evil in the strict sense can happen to him, for everything is overruled for good. Do you know my favourite example of all of this uh, from the Bible is, of course, the story of Joseph. Because uh, for a large part of Joseph's life, it was just one injustice after the other. You know, he was abducted from his home, uh, sold as a slave, accused of a horrible crime. He ended up in prison for many years. Just one injustice after the other, all because people were acting in self-interest. And yet, in the end, when those initially responsible thought that Joseph would pay them back for what they did to him, instead Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You see, Joseph, at the end of his life, he could look back and he could see with hindsight that through all of the trouble that he went through, even though at the time it looked like God was not protecting him, it looked like God had forsaken him. And yet all the way through, God was in fact protecting him from something far worse in the future. Now, Joseph could see that, that God was at work even through all of the trouble to put Joseph into a position where he could save, literally save the world from famine. And so Joseph could see that at the end of his life. And so he realized that God was actually protecting him the whole way through. Even when it felt like God wasn't, he actually was turning all his trouble into good in the end. And that's what God's promise is. No evil in the strict sense can happen to him for everything is overruled for good. And that is what God is promising here. And see, his promise still stands. The promise of Psalm 91, it still stands, but it's only for those who are in Christ, our covenant head. Only Jesus has fulfilled Psalm 91. He has won the blessing of God's protection and we share in that through faith in Jesus. And so if you have that by faith, if you have God's protection by faith in Christ, well, now we can talk about the practice of it. How do you actually live it out? How do you live out this promise of having this promise of ultimate protection? Well, that's what I want to look, look at now. I just want to look at two things, two, two ways you can live it out. Uh, the first one is this. Don't fall into Satan's trap. Don't fall into Satan's trap. Do you know, probably the most familiar section uh, of this psalm is uh, verses 11 to 12. Uh, because verses 11 and 12, they're the words that Satan quotes to try to trip Jesus up. See, it's in Luke chapter 4. Uh, Luke records the time that 
that Satan tempted Jesus in the desert. And he says to Jesus, you know, if you are the son of God, then throw yourself off this building because doesn't Psalm 91 say that God's going to send his angels and protect you? You won't even stub your toe. Now, what's Satan trying to do there? He's trying to sow a seed of doubt into Jesus' mind. He wants Jesus to start to doubt God's promise, to start to think, yikes, what if, what if the Father doesn't catch me? What if his promise fails? But see, Jesus sees right through that trap and he just quotes back another scripture. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But do you see that's exactly how Satan tries to trip us up today? You know, when trouble strikes, and it will, he's quickly on the scene, or at least his helpers are quickly on the scene to sow the seeds of doubt. He wants you to think that God has failed you that God has abandoned you, that when trouble comes, you start to think, God doesn't, he's not there. He's not helping me. And so Satan wants you to withdraw from God, to turn away from him, to say, well, there you go. That just proves that his promises are untrue. Do you know that was something that um, Jim Elliot's wife, uh, Elizabeth, probably had to struggle with when she lost uh, Jim, that missionary, uh, back in 1956. I mean, where was God in that? You know, did God fail to protect Jim? But see, God's promises, as, as we so clearly see in Jesus, is to protect you through trouble, not just from it, and to protect you through trouble so that even then it's actually for your good. And see, that is far better in the long run. You know, we might ask, uh, like Elizabeth could have asked at the time, uh, what good is there in dying? I mean, what good is there in losing a husband? Or, you know, we might ask, what good is there in losing a child or a marriage or a job or anything? I mean, what good is there in any suffering? And the answer from this psalm is because God promises his protection, then what good is there in any of this? The answer is wait and see. Eventually you will see because we are more than conquerors in Christ. Don't fall into Satan's trap. Don't buy into the doubts that he tries to sow to get you to think that somehow God isn't keeping his promise. Don't buy into that lie. You need to turn to God's word to trust his promise. Actually draw near to him in your trouble and he will carry you through and eventually all of that will turn into rejoicing. We are more than conquerors. And you know that's something that Elizabeth Elliot was able to rest in when she lost her husband, Jim, because she actually wrote a biography about Jim. And do you know what she called that biography? The Shadow of the Almighty. That's from Psalm 91, verse 1, the Shadow of the Almighty. See, Elizabeth understood the promise and she rested in that. She didn't fall into the Satan's trap. But second, not only do we not want to fall into Satan's trap, but the main way we live out this psalm is by keeping our focus on the guarantee. So if you think about this psalm and the promise that it's making, I mean, it's a huge claim. Ultimate protection, the promise of turning all your trouble into good. That's a big claim. So what is the guarantee? How can we be confident that this is actually going to take place? Well, you need to focus on the guarantee and that is in verse 4. Have a look at verse 4. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings 
you will find refuge. Now that is such a beautiful image. Uh, this is actually the, um, the image that, uh, that Jesus used to describe his attitude to people when he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I've longed to gather your children uh, like a hen uh, gathers her chicks under her wings. Um, but just think about that image for a minute. How does a mother bird protect her chicks? Now, for example, how does she protect them from, uh, from the cold or from uh, pelting rain or, or, or biting wind or a scorching sun? How does she protect them? Only by bearing those things herself. Do you know, I once heard a story from um, Dale Ralph Davies, a uh, preacher that I sometimes like to listen to. Uh, and he tells a story about a barn, uh, he's American, uh, a barn being burned down by fire and then the owner of that barn walking through the, the charred remains and as he walked through that, that mess, he knocked over a burnt chook and as he knocked that burnt chook over, out runs these little chicks out from under their mother's charred remains. And you know, that's... That's actually what Jesus did for us on the cross. On the cross, Jesus dealt with the only thing that can truly destroy us. Uh, you know, Jesus said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. Rather be afraid of the one who has the power to destroy both body and soul in hell. That's your real threat. That's the real danger. But see, in Jesus, we're safe. We're safe from that threat because he took away the one thing that can truly separate us from God forever. On the cross, Jesus got what our sin deserves. He got that so that we can get the everlasting protection of the Father. It's only under the shadow of his wings that you are truly safe. And do you see, that's the guarantee. The cross is the guarantee. When you look at what Jesus did for us, to secure the everlasting protection of the Father, that's how you can know that you can trust this promise, that no matter what you're going through, you know that God is working it for your good, that ultimately it is going, you're going to be a victor. We're more than conquerors in Christ. We know that because of the cross and the resurrection is really God's stamp of approval on what Jesus achieved for us. And so if you're in Christ, you are truly safe forever. God's protection guarantees that he is always with you and that he will turn every bit of trouble into good. You know, God says, with long life, I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. How long is that long life? It's eternal. Eternal life in Christ. That means you are eternally safe. That's God's promise. Will you rest in that forever? Amen. Well, this is a series on praying God's promises in the Psalms. Uh, we're going to pray now. Let's um, put this into practice. Let's pray the Psalm. Uh, will you bow your head and join me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, you are the Most High God. You are our refuge and fortress, the one in whom we trust. You are faithful to all your promises. And so we know that we have nothing to fear in life or in death because you are our deliverer. Yet we confess, Father, that we don't always hold to this. Uh, we confess that we do give in to fear and doubt. Uh, we easily get anxious when things are out of our control.
Lord, we forget that you are in control and are working all things for the good of those who love you. Father, we pray that you would forgive us for our unbelief and our pride, which causes us to doubt your promises and to doubt your power to keep us safe. Forgive us, Father, for the unbelief that prevents us from resting in your wisdom to bring good out of every bit of trouble. Father, we praise you that we have a faithful king who did trust you and was unwavering in his obedience. Thank you that the covenant blessings are won for us through his righteous life. Thank you that he has secured your protection for all of eternity. Father, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us faith to believe your promises and to live in joyful, confident hope that everything you say is true. Lord, when troubles threaten to reduce us to despair and the evil one sows his seeds of doubt, Father, we pray that you would show us your great love uh, in your Son who was crucified for us. For that's where we see that you are committed to us and that you will never leave us or forsake us. We thank you that because our sin has been taken away, that we are safe in your love forever. But Father, we pray for those who are enduring uh, trials right now. We pray for those who, who feel like this isolation is a real trial uh, or the loneliness that they're experiencing in that. Father, it, it does seem harder this time around, but we know that we're never alone because you're always with us and will never leave us or forsake us. Father, we pray for those who are going through even deeper trials, uh, for those who are very sick. Uh, we pray for those facing the end of their earthly lives or for those who have lost something or someone dear to them. Lord, we pray uh, that the promise of your everlasting protection will be their joy and their peace. As you say, with long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. So Lord, enable us to rest in, in the shadow of the Almighty, to be able to say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll close with uh, the a reading from Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor the things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. See you next week.